Hello, and welcome to a more perfect podcast. If you've been paying attention to the news cycle in the past decade or so, you might have noticed that the personal has become the political. What I mean by that is, you may have seen that your children aren't being taught the same history that you were taught when you went to school. Or you've seen your church accepting things like homosexuality and the church splitting apart because of it. Maybe you've been listening to my show over the past few years, and you've heard me talking about the dictionary changing its definitions at the whims of political activists. Maybe you're in a university, like I am, and you're being taught things like implicit bias in a statistics class, or cultural appropriation, or you're having to take the racial implicit bias test. Things that are strange but can suddenly be found in pretty much every single class that you take. Maybe you're not in the university, perhaps you're in the workforce and you've seen diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives invading your workplace and turning it upside down. That's just what they do. Divide everything and turn what was once your workplace into a place of political action. No matter where you are, though, you have certainly seen that every single news story you see, whether that be even a mere headline, or especially cable news, any sort of news you see nowadays, advances some form of biased political agenda. A few months ago, everyone was talking about the Gabby Petito case and her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, and how she had gone missing and they were all looking for her. Well, in the middle of this case, there was this MSNBC segment and they talked about missing white woman syndrome and they tried to racialize and politicize the case. Everybody made fun of them for it, but to me, it really struck me that any news story, no matter what the topic, no matter what the issue, is advancing some form of political agenda, especially on channels such as Fox News, such as MSNBC, CNN is state propaganda, so, you know, I kind of leave that out. Every single news story advances a form of politics. It's just plain to see. Well, all of these things are not just coincidences. No, they're symptoms of a nation undergoing toxic fundamental change. As I've stated previously on this podcast, America is going through a cultural revolution alike to what China went through under Mao Zedong. And if you really want to understand the current environment in the United States, then you need to understand what constitutes a cultural revolution and, more importantly, why a cultural revolution is being pursued today by the toxic leftists who wish to transform our country in pursuit of their utopian vision, which is today called justice and what was yesterday called communism. Understanding the thought of a little-known but very important leftist thinker named Antonio Gramsci can help us understand what's going on today. Whether it's critical race theory being applied and subsequently taught in the school system, or your church splitting apart because of the acceptance of homosexuality, 
or even the changing of the words in the dictionary, and especially the corruption of what your children are being taught in schools, Antonio Gramsci's ideas are the framework from which these leftist activists, from which these leftist agendas operate all over the world. So in this episode, we're going to be talking all about Antonio Gramsci and how he helped Marxism to evolve into the sinister threat that our nation and the world is at war with today. Before I start talking about Antonio Gramsci, though, I got to remind you guys, I'm sponsored by Surfshark VPN. Surfshark VPN is the fastest and most reliable VPN on the market today. VPNs usually just keep your internet secure, and Surfshark VPN does that incredibly well. There's nobody that's going to be knowing what you're going to be doing on the internet when you have Surfshark VPN on, but Surfshark VPN is so much more. Surfshark VPN allows you to access Netflix libraries in other countries. So quick story here, I was actually wanting to watch the Rocky movies the other day, and you can't find the Rocky movies on the United States version of Netflix. I had to turn on Surfshark VPN, and I had to go to the Mexico version of Netflix, actually, to get to the Rocky movies. Just think about how much time you spend on Netflix, and realize that there is a whole catalog of shows that you're missing out on just because they aren't available in the United States. But with Surfshark VPN, that's not an issue. You can access Netflix libraries from all over the world with no stuttering or quality loss at all. It was in HD like I was watching it with no VPN. There was no stuttering at all. It was it was flawless. It was amazing. Surfshark VPN is one of the best services out there. And with my podcast, you can get a 83% discount by clicking the link in my description. You can get a exclusive deal. Once again, 83% off of Surfshark VPN. You support the show. You help me to create episodes. You get a wonderful VPN and you get to further your Netflix addiction. None of my business, but Seriously, you, you should really consider checking it out because it is a life changer. Once again, Surfshark VPN, 83% off with the link in my podcast description. So who was Antonio Gramsci? Well, Antonio Gramsci was an Italian Marxist theorist as well as a political philosopher who completely changed the game on Marxism. You see, if you don't understand the work of Antonio Gramsci, and his quote-unquote successors in the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory, who aren't really his successors, Gramsci wasn't a part of the Frankfurt School, so that's why I hesitate to call them his successors. Point being, if you don't understand the works of people in the Frankfurt School and Antonio Gramsci, then you really don't understand Marxism today, because it's changed that much. You may have read things like the Communist Manifesto. You may have read... Socialism, Utopian, and Scientific by Frederick Engels. You may have read Critique of the Political Economy or even Das Kapital by Karl Marx. But those things were written in the 1800s. Those things aren't applicable to today. You see, Marxism really didn't even start with Karl Marx. 
he was building off of a theory laid out by G.W.F. Hegel before him, and socialism didn't even start with Karl Marx either. It was started by people such as Robert Owens, who preceded Marx. Marx just built off of the theories that were laid out before him and formed what we now know as Marxism. So getting back to Gramsci here, understanding that Marxism is a project that's evolved over the course of, quite frankly, hundreds of years now, Gramsci himself is best introduced via a quote of his. So Gramsci once wrote that socialism is precisely the religion which must overwhelm Christianity. Gramsci wrote that in the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, churches, and the media by transforming the consciousness of society. Take a step back here. Think of everything that makes your life fulfilling. Perhaps you enjoy hanging out with your friends at school, or maybe you're very involved in your clergy at church. Maybe you just enjoy going home and watching Netflix. There was a show that was really popular a few months ago, Squid Games, that was on Netflix. All these things are media, okay? Even even your Instagram feed is social media. All of these things that make your life fulfilling, these things that you like to do from day to day, would be colonized, taken over by the socialists, and then used to transform the consciousness of society, used to alter the worldview of everybody towards a more socialist lens. So Gramsci's the person behind what's commonly referred to as the long march through the institutions. He didn't actually say that, though. It was a German activist named Rudi Jarschke in the 1960s. Gramsci, however, was born much earlier, in 1891. Yeah, we're going back here. Gramsci was born in 1891, and in 1916, when he was 25 years old, he started writing for the socialist newspaper. And in this socialist newspaper, he advocated for a Marxist education, in which students would think critically and rigorously so that they'd be able to solve their own problems through a Marxist lens. Just a year later, in 1917, Gramsci was very inspired by the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, and after a massive strike failed to initiate a socialist revolution in Italy, Antonio Gramsci was the leader, or he became the leader, of the Italian Communist Party in 1924. When fascism arose with Mussolini just two years later in 1926, Gramsci played a major role in the fight against fascism in its country of origin. And at his trial, once Mussolini arrested him, because Mussolini arrested all of his political opponents, his prosecutor said very famously, we must stop his mind from working for 20 years. Gramsci was imprisoned, he would later die in prison, and he's best known for the works he wrote while being in prison, known as his prison notebooks, which, among other things, articulates a breakage with orthodox Marxism that would remain influential all the way until the present day. It is to them we now turn. How did Gramsci change Marxism into the threat that we now know today? 
To understand how Gramsci changed Marxism, we need to understand Marxism before Antonio Gramsci. So before Antonio Gramsci, Marxism was completely caught up in the theory of what's formerly known as historical materialism. Historical materialism, in the simplest terms possible, is the economic interpretation of history. Just take a step back here, and I think it'll become really clear. Ask yourself, what do you think moves history forward? Is it great men like George Washington and the Founding Fathers? Is it the conflicts between great men like Winston Churchill and Adolf Hitler? Is it the conflicts between ideas like collectivism, communism, and individualism, capitalism? Is it spirituality, like Islam or Christianity? Is there a great creator that moves history along a predetermined plan? To Marx, none of these things were correct. Karl Marx did not believe that grand ideas moved history forward. He didn't really believe that a grand deity did so either. To Karl Marx, it was pure and simple the economic systems of society. So Karl Marx believed that in every single mode of production, he called them, that's just a fancy name for an economic system like capitalism or socialism, maybe even feudalism or a ancient society with slavery. Those are just modes of production. Within those modes of production, there is conflict between the forces of production and the relations of production. So what are those things? So the forces of production are in a capitalist society, they would be the workers and the managers. In a ancient society that had slaves, there would be the slaves and their masters. And in a feudal society, there would be the landowners and the serfs. Those are the forces of production. And then the relations of production are just the relationships between those forces. So the master-slave relationship, for instance, in an ancient society, or the relation between a manager, like capitalist, and the worker in a capitalist society. Marx believed that it was the conflict between the forces of production and the relations of production that moved society forward. Shorthand way to say it is just dialectical materialism. The material forces of society move history forward. So what does this mean in practice? Well, Marx believed that capitalism would eventually evolve into socialism. How does this happen? Well, the workers, the forces of production, become dissatisfied with being exploited by the evil, greedy capitalists. 
the forces of production, the workers, become dissatisfied with the relations of production, in this case being under their bosses. Once the forces of production become dissatisfied with their relations of production, then the economic system is uprooted and it evolves into the next stage of history. In this instance, socialism. To sum it up, Karl Marx believed that the conflict between different economic groups is the driver of history. Economic class conflict moves history forward according to Karl Marx. This view of Karl Marx, known as dialectical materialism, is a crucial concept in understanding orthodox Marxism, and it's also very, very important to realize that dialectical materialism was not just a view of history. It wasn't just a explanation of how things got to where they are, but it was also an explanation of how things would go and where they were going. You see, dialectical materialism was supposed to be inevitable. The dialectic was supposed to be a grand explanation for the way the world worked, was working, and would work. It was the past, present, and future, all in one. An entire worldview. Marxism as we know it is actually built upon a older, much eviler concept. The engine of leftism all the way until the present day, all the way until the critical race theorists that we're dealing with today, the radical gender theorists that are pushing evil, quote-unquote, comprehensive sex education in our schools, all the way back to the Nazis in Hitler's Germany, as well as liberation and the Soviet communists in the USSR, every single strand without exception of leftism has run on one single evil engine of darkness known as the dialectic. Now, the dialectic can be described in the simplest terms possible as a process of becoming. The dialectic is a process of becoming through conflict, through the resolution of contradictions, a synthesis is realized. So the formula is very basic. It goes thesis, antithesis, synthesis. A original idea confronts its opposite, and through the resolution of the contradictions, there is a synthesis that forms. This starts the process again, because in every synthesis, in every single stage of history, and every single stage and state of things in the world, there is, according to the dialectic, inherent contradictions that need to be worked out, and thus the world is becoming. The contradictions are always being worked out. Thus, the dialectic is a process of becoming through the resolution of contradictions into a synthesis. To the dialectic, history is a unfolding process. History is becoming. And the different stages in history are reached 
by resolving the contradictions inherent to the stage of history that we're currently in. So let's take an earlier example, capitalism. Earlier, I was talking about the forces and relations of production coming into conflict with one another. When they come into conflict with one another, that is the, in Marx's dialectical materialism, that would be the contradictions resolving themselves. And then socialism would be the synthesis. So how does the dialectic work? The resolution of contradictions into a synthesis. And the synthesis has its own contradictions. And so those contradictions need to be resolved. And thus the dialectic continues and continues and continues until what Marx wrote, which is the communism, or what Hegel wrote before him, which is the absolute idea realizing itself to be perfect. That is very abstract. You, you guys do not need to understand that. What you do need to understand is that leftism and Marxism, especially since we're talking about Marxism, views history as a continuing process. Socialism was supposed to happen. It was scientific. Trust the science, y'all. It was a scientific explanation. It was, it, was, it was guaranteed to happen. Of course it would happen. Except capitalism was not involving the socialism. The only, at least in Gramsci's time, finally we're getting back to Gramsci, at least in Gramsci's time, the only socialist state that was seen was the USSR, which never had a period of capitalism. The USSR was a feudal serf society of like farmers. It was poor, it was backwards. And yet they're going to be the ones to do socialism without even going to capitalism? According to Marxism, this doesn't make sense. And yet it happened. Capitalism's not evolving to socialism either. Marxism needs an update. And this is where Antonio Gramsci comes in. Gramsci upended this entire theory of orthodox Marxism with one simple change. Gramsci knows the one simple trick that changed Marxism and destroyed Western civilization. Everyone hates him. <laughs> it really kind of is like that, though. Gramsci changed Marxism by shifting the focus of Marxism. Gramsci changed Marxism by shifting the focus of Marxism from economics and economic class struggle to culture and cultural class struggle. In fact, in an article titled Antonio Gramsci's Long March Through History, it's written that Gramsci sought to break with Karl Marx's economic determinism and base his theory on wielding and maintaining power by the ruling class, which has commonly become known as his theory of cultural hegemony. Cultural hegemony is very, very important to understand in Gramsci and Marxism. So just to continue, Gramsci believed that the ruling class, the bourgeoisie, or as I called them earlier, the capitalists, used cultural institutions to maintain power. They use ideology rather than violence or economic force to propagate their own values by creating the capitalist drive. They maintain power by convincing everybody that capitalism is a good thing. That, for example, if you work hard enough, 
you can succeed. And so Gramsci says that these narratives, like providing for your family and going to your job and working hard so that you can succeed, are not just good things to do. They're not just things that have a positive net effect on your life and that make you happy. No, 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 no. Actually, they're narratives foisted upon you by the ruling class through what's called society's superstructure. Now, Gramsci and Marxists define the superstructure as everything not directly having to do with economic production, like family, religion, education, media, law, and every other cultural thing that you can think of. So basically, to sum up cultural hegemony, Gramsci believed that the ruling class maintains their power through a control of what makes our lives meaningful. Things such as family, you know, you want to work hard for your family, or religion, which tells you to work hard, to not be lazy. There is a sin of sloth in Christianity. Or education that you have to work hard at, that you have to learn things in, or the media, or especially law, you know, you cannot just be a leech in the system, you have to work, you have to do this, you have to support yourself. All of these things were actually constructions of the ruling class to keep people in a state of servitude in capitalism. So according to Gramsci, cultural hegemony was the thing to fight against, because the ruling class maintains their power through control of the culture. So what Gramsci and Marxists needed to do to effectuate the revolution against capitalism into the socialist utopia, what the Gramscian Marxists needed to do was simple. They needed to attack the culture. They needed to overthrow the ruling class to get their stupid Marxist utopia. It'll work this time, guys. We just need to ruin people's lives in another way. And you know what? This is exactly what Gramsci wrote about in his prison notebooks which are literally over 30 notebooks full of 3,000 plus pages of history and analysis. This dude did not skimp, and it's totally delusional. I totally wouldn't recommend it, but if you want to read it for yourself, you can find it in the source notes. I wouldn't recommend it, though. <laughs> so anyways, according to another article titled Gramsci's Grand Plan by Father James Thornton, Gramsci believed that if communism achieved a mastery of human consciousness, then labor camps and mass murder would be unnecessary. Imagine an ideology so perfect that labor camps and mass murder are necessary. The article continues, How does an ideology gain such mastery over patterns of thought inculcated by cultures over hundreds of years? Mastery over the consciousness of the great mass of people would be attained, Gramsci contended, if communists or their sympathizers gained control of the organs of culture. I'm thinking the modern-day democratic leadership. If communists or their sympathizers gained control of the organs of culture, churches, education, newspapers, magazines, the electronic media, serious literature, music, the visual arts, and so on. By winning cultural hegemony, to use Gramsci's own term, 
communism would control the deepest wellsprings of human thought and imagination. One need not even control all the information itself if one can gain control over the minds that assimilate that information. I'm thinking about the mainstream media with their fact checkers. I'm thinking about big tech and the algorithms that prioritize quote-unquote legitimate sources like CNN and their own experts from MSNBC and the totally corrupt WHO. I'm thinking about those assimilators of information. Under such conditions, serious opposition disappears since men are no longer capable of grasping the arguments of Marxism's opponents. Men will indeed love their servitude and not even realize that it is servitude. So basically Gramsci realized that nobody is actually going to roll over and submit to socialism. Nobody's going to submit to a system that's going to enslave them. Rather, society first needed to be subverted. They needed to be eroded down and influenced by Marxist ideology. And in Gramsci's mind, in his deluded mind, people someday in an egalitarian utopia would enjoy being victims to the repressive regime that socialism always becomes. In fact, Lenin once said, Give me four years to teach the children, and the seed I have sown will never be uprooted. This is the crux of cultural hegemony, the planting of a toxic Marxist seed to blossom into the choking vine of socialism on the tree of society. Formally, this Marxian takeover of the culture is known as a counter-hegemony, and the agents of this counter-hegemony are special. They are called organic intellectuals. So Gramsci's organic intellectuals are a second breakage from Orthodox Marxism. So in Orthodox Marxism, there was another thing that I forgot to mention earlier called class consciousness. And basically it's the working class realizing that the capitalists are exploiting them and the way they realize that is through the intellectuals in society. Okay, so Gramsci evolved this notion of the exposing of the capitalist class as exploiters and of class consciousness. He evolved this further. He distinguished between two different types of intellectuals, traditional and organic. And he said what the working class and the proletariat needs is their own organic intellectuals. So organic doesn't mean like living here. It just means working class. So the working class needs to have its own organic intellectuals and they need to be inserted into the cultural institutions. The organic intellectuals need to concern themselves with actively influencing people and winning people over to their worldview, leading the charge in the culture war, versus traditional intellectuals, which are the pawns of the elite. 
So basically, think of it this way: think of two different professors. One of them is a professor that's been in the college and the university for a long, long time, and they teach that capitalism is a good thing. That is a traditional intellectual. They would, according to Gramsci, be a pawn of the elite capitalist exploiting class. And then another teacher that gets hired by the university, that is in his or her first year in the university and starts teaching things like history through the lens of a Marxist spinoff like critical race theory. They would be the organic intellectuals. They would be exposing the capitalist, dominant, cultural, he- culturally hegemonic—that's a mouthful. They would be exposing the culturally hegemonic narrative as fraudulent. And Gramsci also talked about the importance of that other teacher, the one that had been there for a while. See if if you can if you can turn him into a Operative of the Marxist takeover. If you can turn him into a organic intellectual, then that is incredibly valuable because he has clout in the institution. And by the way, this doesn't just go for education either. Even though education was a huge part of Antonio Gramsci's grand plan, no, organic intellectuals can be people such as priests in churches. And when the priest, for instance, starts advocating for things such as homosexual acceptance that are blatantly against Christian scripture, blatantly against the word of God, then they become a quote-unquote organic intellectual. When they start deviating from the word of God, when they start deviating from the teachings of Christ, then they become a subverter in the church. And they helped to advance what Gramsci would call a counter-hegemony. Basically, to quote another article, destroying capitalism requires more than targeting the economics that drives it. The very social structure which upholds it must be the focus. The left's use of not only racism, but sexism, homo, and transphobia, and any other ism is now part of this strategy. And it's because of Antonio Gramsci's views on counter-hegemony. Just to put the bow on this whole notion of counter-hegemony and organic intellectuals. Because I need to move on to one more thing here. And this is the last important concept to understand concerning Antonio Gramsci's evolution of Marxism. So the last thing to understand when talking about Antonio Gramsci's evolution of Marxism is Gramsci's conception of the political society and the civil society. So the political society is the traditional things that people think of when they think of the state. They think of the military, they think of the police, they think of the commissioners, they think of the intelligence agencies like the FBI, the CIA, etc. Okay, the hard enforcers of the law, the institutions of government, all that is called political society. 
Then there's what's called civil society. And now I'm going to read directly from Gramsci. Gramsci writes in his prison notebooks that in the West, there was a proper relation between state and civil society. And when the state trembled, a sturdy structure of civil society was at once revealed. The state was only an outer ditch, behind which there stood a powerful system of fortresses and earthworks. In times which the state itself may have shown weakness to overthrow from opposing ideological forces, the institutions of civil society provided political reinforcement for the existing order. So what does all that mean? Well, it means that according to Gramsci, the church, in particular the Christian church, provided the strongest bulwark against communism that the world had ever seen. A impenetrable fortress for a society was found within the church, as well as other cultural institutions. Conquering the military of a society was not enough. The institutions like the church would still stand, and they would be the strongest inhibitors towards any socialist revolution that was ever going to happen. The cultural institutions acted as a force field against socialism in the Western countries. In Gramscian terms, the civil society acted as a force field for the political society and, in turn, the state itself. It is because the cultural institutions are a force field for Western civilization that it is essential to Gramsci that they be conquered first in what is called a war of position. Without conquering the cultural institutions, Gramsci thought that the socialist revolution would never succeed, and by chance if it did succeed, it would never last for long. It would never be very entrenched in the society. So a proper socialist revolution was two-phased. The first phase was a cultural revolution, formerly known in Gramscian terms as a war of position. And the second was a hard revolution with guns and molotovs, again in Gramscian terms, known as a war of maneuver. And to me, that pretty much wraps up the bulk of Gramscian Marxism. So now, let's tie it all up to the cultural revolution that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. So, I said that Gramscian Marxism is key to understanding why a cultural revolution is being waged in America right now by the leftists that seek to transform our country. Not only can Gramscian Marxism be tied to the cultural revolution being waged in America today, but it can also be tied to the original cultural revolution waged by Mao Zedong in China. So according to Liu Kang from the John Hopkins University Press, Gramsci was not alone in thinking of hegemony and cultural revolution. Chinese Marxists, specifically Q Kubai and Mao Zedong especially, not only theorized but also practiced cultural revolution. 
Cultural Revolution was conceived by Kyukubai and Mao Zedong first in the 1920s and 30s at roughly the same time that Gramsci reflected on hegemony and culture. It's arguable that cultural revolution emerged as a central theme in the formation of a distinct Chinese Marxism. Parallels between Gramsci and Chinese Marxists are not merely superficial and accidental. Despite differences between Italy, an advanced capitalist country of the West, and China, an agrarian country of the Third World, the historical contexts in which Gramsci and Chinese Marxists conceived their theories have some profound similarities. And then in the similarities, it says, they both set the cultural arena of ideas and words, generally regarded as peripheral, because remember, the orthodox Marxism did not include this cultural element to it, they set the cultural arena of ideas and words generally regarded as peripheral against the central capitalist bastions of economic and political power. So there you have it. Mao Zedong did what Antonio Gramsci thought. Which brings us right back to America today, because what China did is what America is doing. What Gramsci thought is what America is going through. This is the real situation that America's been in in the past decade or so. Case in point, the 21-day racial equity challenge hosted by some of the largest entities in Florida, such as the United Way of the Big Bend. Yes, they hosted a 21-day critical race theory full racial equity challenge, which said this. Keep in mind what I said about organic intellectuals and taking over institutions using people that are already established inside of them. The Racial Equity Challenge says that the term ally comes up regularly in conversations about creating community change. There are various definitions and opinions of allyship. One of my favorite writers on the subject is Rachel Ricketts. In her book, Do Better, she defines an ally as a person who uses their privilege to advocate for someone who doesn't hold the same privilege. We cannot name ourselves as allies, and allyship, at its best, is rooted in action. Acting in allyship can be micro, like donating, macro, like using one's privilege to advocate for policy change, wink wink, external, regularly supporting black-owned businesses, or internal, noticing and challenging our own oppressive thoughts as they arise. So you see two things here. Number one is with the internal, that's the class consciousness, noticing and challenging our own oppressive thoughts as they arise. And the important one is the macro, using one's privilege to advocate for policy change. How would you advocate for policy change? By being in the organization as a critical race theory activist, or in Gramscian terms, as a organic intellectual. Inch by inch, Gramscian cultural Marxism has taken over our country and transformed it from the inside out. What we need is a counter-transformation. We need whistleblowers inside of these institutions like CNN, MSNBC, or pretty much any prestigious university nowadays to speak out and expose this corruption 
inside of our cultural institutions. And finally, some housekeeping notes and acknowledgements. Number one is I was gone for months. I, I think this is honestly the longest break I've ever taken from uploading an episode, so I do apologize for that. I got sick last year, and then I got bogged down with school, so I just couldn't record. You know, life happens. So, forgive my absence. More content is definitely coming in the future. I also want to give a quick shout out to a podcast that was incredibly helpful in making this episode. This podcast is The Working Class Intelligentsia by Elton L.K. You can find it on Spotify if you want to check it out. I'm going to link it in the source notes in the podcast description. And by the way, we're not affiliated at all. He was just really helpful in making the episode. However, I am affiliated with Surfshark VPN. You can get a Surfshark VPN subscription at a 83% discount and access Netflix libraries all over the world with the link in my podcast description. Support the show and get Surfshark VPN. And as always, remember to tell all your friends and family about this podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are streamed. And if you have a Amazon Alexa device, you can just say, Alexa, play a more perfect podcast hosted by Dylan, and she will. Because magic. <laughs> no, I'm serious, but tell all your friends and family I am unable to spread this podcast through social media anymore because the algorithm has deemed me public enemy number one, apparently. So, screw big tech, screw Instagram. <laughs> I know, I know, old news, but I thought I'd say it anyway. And with that, as usual, have a more perfect day.